All right, well, it's, I can't believe we're almost done with Acts. It's taken us almost a year, uh, but we've gotten there. If you remember back in chapter 22, um, Paul kind of shares his testimony. He kind of says, this is my story. And we talked a little bit then uh, about some of the details of his story. We talked about um, the kind of Jew he was and how that had an impact on the people that he was ministering to. Um, and so we, we, we gave a certain detail. And it would be interesting to compare the two, how, how Paul kind of shared his story of, of, of coming to Christ com- then as compared to here in chapter 26. What I really want to do is something that I used to do with my youth group back in California, which is to teach this and use this as a, in a sense, a skeleton or a model of how we should share our testimony. How, how should we share our own story? I think it's something that we don't do enough. In fact, I, I suspect there's a, a main reason why we don't share our story. How many of you guys were raised in the church? You grew up in the church. A whole lot of you. Okay. Okay. So when you grow up in the church, a lot of times what happens is you feel like, I don't have a testimony. I don't really have a story. And that's really not true. And, and so we want, to, we, want, we want to do is we want to look at this, see what God did through Paul, how God used Paul, and sort of see, what can we learn about how we share our story? Because it's an important thing to know how to do. So let's pick it up. There's basically four main things we're going to look at. The first thing is, let's look at how Paul describes his life before Christ. And this is an important thing. How does Paul describe his life before Christ? Starting in verse 26, setting the context, it says, Then Agrippa said to Paul, You are permitted to speak for yourself. And so Paul stretched out his hand, and he answered for himself. And if you remember from last week, uh, where we are is, is, is Paul had appealed to Caesar. Uh, now he's, he's going to stand before Agrippa uh, and, uh, and kind of share his own defense, give his own defense. But Paul is going to take this opportunity to actually share his own testimony. And so he starts off in verse 2 by saying, I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all things of which I am accused by the Jews, especially because you are ex- you are experts in all customs and questions which have to do with the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to hear me most or hear me patiently. Now, Paul knew exactly who he was talking to. He's talking to Agrippa. It's, it's interesting to think about this guy's family lineage because it, uh, Agrippa's, I think, it would have been his great grandfather was the Herod who had all the babies slain when Jesus was born. And then I guess it would have been his uncle who had, um, who was guilty of having uh, John the Baptist beheaded. And so he comes from a pretty horrible family. His grandfather, or maybe it was his grandfather that was the one who was, who was uh, guilty of doing that. But then his father sort of uh, kind of mellowed out a bit. And what we know about his father is just that his father kind of in charge of that area of, especially of Jerusalem, uh, began to get really interested in, in the law, into Judaism. And so he became kind of an expert in the law of Judaism, in the Old Testament revelation. So Agrippa kind of took this on. And Agrippa, of, of the sort of line, was the least kind of dodgy of the bunch. So he was someone who seemed to have an understanding of, of what the Old Testament said. He seemed to have a respect for what the Old Testament said as, as the sort of the steward of the temple, the one who was responsible before Rome to make sure that that property was looked after and those, and those things were, uh, the rituals were happening in peace. He would have had to, if he was going to go into the area, profess, I believe in the prophets of the scripture. 
And so this is a guy that Paul's thinking, oh, this is my opportunity. This guy knows something about the Old Testament, and so I'm going to share with him uh, in such a way that it connects to him this way. And this is important because when it comes to us sharing our testimony, a lot of times, once we kind of are confident that we have a story, and we, we feel like we can kind of break down that story and say, okay, here's what I was like before Christ. Here's, here's when I kind of, the, the penny dropped for me. Uh, and, and here's what God's been doing ever since. Once we kind of have an idea of that outline, we think, okay, here's how I'd say this. Sometimes we want to jump in there. And the, and the truth is, we have to really listen and know who it is we're talking to. How it is we can connect with the, the person that we are trying to share. Uh, I got saved at 18 years old. I, I've had a, I had a lot of experiences, a lot of things that happened in my life uh, before I got saved, some of which were really bad, some of which were, were pretty normal. And so I have tend to kind of pick and choose the aspects of my life before Christ based on the person I'm sharing it with. So if I'm sharing with somebody who's maybe a hardcore partier, I'm going to share that aspect of my life when I was a hardcore partier. If I'm sharing someone who's who's a bit of uh, got in trouble with the, the law or was a bit of a scrapper, I'm going to share some of my stories along that line. If I'm talking with someone who's a fairly normal person but knows that what it's like to come from a broken home, I'm going to talk about me coming from a broken home. If I'm talking to somebody who uh, uh, just is clueless about Christian things, even if he's just kind of a normal person, I'm going to talk about how the fact I was completely unchurched until I was 18 and I was clueless about Christian things. And so the thing is, is that when it comes to our testimony, everyone doesn't know, need to know every aspect of everything that we went through before we became a Christian. But we do want to listen to what they're about and see if we can say, okay, how, where does my story parallel with their story? And you get a sense here as Paul's going to share with Agrippa that he's thinking, okay, okay, I think I know I, I can connect with this guy. I can share with this guy something that's going to have an impact on him. This is not Paul changing his story or stretching his story or making things up. This is simply him saying, okay, I'm going to share the parts that are going to be most relevant to this guy's life. And so he says in verse 4, My manner of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem, all the Jews know. They knew me from the first, and if they were willing to testify, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. And so Paul is saying to Agrippa, Agrippa, look, if these guys are willing to tell you, willing to testify for me, they would say to you, this guy used to be the real thing. He, he was committed to the law of God. He was committed to the temple. He was committed to God's people. He was zealous for the faith. They would have backed that up. Now, they don't want to say anything good about Paul because they're the ones that want to see him killed, right? Now, but as good Jews, they also couldn't say that wasn't true. So you can imagine Paul saying this and they're all just going, because they can't really respond to it. But Paul's doing a really good job here. He's saying, look, uh, you, you, you can, uh, you know, he, he's basically saying, if these guys were willing to say, they would say that I was who they wanted me to be before my conversion. And so again, he's trying to connect with Agrippa and connect even with these Jews that, that hate him, that want to see him destroyed. And so he says, And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers, uh, to this promise, our 12 tribes earnestly served God night and day, the uh, hope to attain. For this hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused by the Jews. Why should it be thought incredible to you that God raises the dead? Now, I don't know about you, but that sentence seems a bit odd in the middle of that. He's all, all of a sudden, he kind of says, why, is it, why do you think it's strange that someone is, is risen from the dead? Now, he knows Agrippa knows the Old Testament. And he knows Agrippa understands what he means when he says he's a Pharisee, someone who wanted to stick to the law of God wanted to actually live that out and saw that as 
as authoritative, all the law and the prophets as authoritative. Now, part of that would have been this reality of the resurrection. I think we sometimes think, okay, this, this teaching of life after death, this teaching of there's going to be a resurrection, none of that was around until Jesus rose from the dead. But that's not actually true. Listen to this. You can look it up later. This is in Job chapter 19, where Job says, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, or my flesh is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold and not another. How my heart yearns within me. This is what Job says. So after my flesh is destroyed, in my flesh, I'm, I'm going to see my Redeemer. What's that speaking of? A resurrection. Daniel spoke also of a resurrection, of the resurrection from the dead. And so there was this, this stream, this, 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 this teaching within you know, Judaism, first century Judaism, that did look forward to that. In fact, he's saying, look, this is what the tribes are shooting for. They're not, they're not just hoping that the kingdom comes, uh, though many people were thinking that the kingdom was going to come. Their ultimate hope is, look, there's life after, the, after death. That all those who died in the past, all those who had been killed in the past as faithful Jews, they're going to be resurrected. They, they're not going to miss out on the kingdom kind of a thing. And so Paul's saying to Agrippa, why would you think it's weird that God could raise the dead? You know what the Bible teaches. And you get the sense, too, that Paul is wanting to get right to the gospel as soon as he possibly can, but he, he holds himself back. So he says, verse 9, Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I cast my votes against them. And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Now that word for enraged, it's going to be important later on. It's a word that literally means I was a maniac. I was a maniac against these people. Now it's interesting, Paul saying part of his testimony was that his zeal for God had made him very anti-Christian. Do you know anybody else that's like that? Someone who's zealous for God but is, and therefore anti-Christian? Yeah, lots of people. There's lots of people from other, other faiths that are zealous for God, and therefore they're anti-Christian. They think what we do is a distortion, or what we do is a deception. So now Paul's saying, this is the way I was like. In other words, again, not just to Agrippa, but even to the people that are listening, Paul's saying, I get it. I get why you're like this. I understand why, what I was like this. And he's, and he's wanting Agrippa to see, look, uh, I know what this is like. The point is, Paul was not afraid to share what his life was like before he was a Christian. If we're going to connect with uh, unbelievers, they have to understand, they have to believe that we know where they're coming from. They, they have to know that. I mean, I, I'll, I'll get this all the time. People will, will say to me all the time, so, you know, I'll talk, maybe I'll talk about my parents or something. They'll say, so, so are, you know, were your parents, are your parents Christians? And what was it like growing up? Like, Absolutely not. I'm the only Christian in my family. And they're like, really? They're kind of shocked by that. As if the assumption would be, if, if I'm a Christian, especially if I'm a pastor, my family all must be Christian. Well, that's not necessarily the case. And so the thing is, is that people need to know that we understand where they're coming from. Now, you might not think that you do understand where they're coming from. You might think to yourself, well, I've always been a Christian. I am that church kid. So I'm going to relate to that person who's not a church kid. How am I going to connect to that person who, who hasn't had, uh, uh, when I haven't had the experiences that they've had? Well, you know what it's like to doubt, don't you? You know what it's like to have pain, don't you? You know what it's like to be tempted, don't you? Those are all the things that these people deal with. 
You, you know what it's like to, to wonder about things. You know what it's like to want to live for yourself, don't you? And so you can relate to these people. It's just a lot of times what it takes is listening to what they have to say, hearing their story, and knowing where there's uh, a com- some common ground. We're really bad about that as Christians. I should say we're really bad about that specifically as evangelicals, Someone who, people who want to get the gospel out. We're really bad about just listening, hearing what people have to say, hearing where they're coming from. That's the, they're going to tell you where you can cross the bridge. They're going to build the bridge for you if you just listen to them. Hear what they have to say. What are they like? What, what's their background? Where are they coming from? What do they think about stuff? If someone's willing to talk to you about that stuff, if someone's willing to talk about their beliefs, their background, listen well, because you're going to find a bridge to cross. You're going to find some sort of common ground. This is what Paul's doing. He's not changing his story to fit Agrippa's story. He's telling the parts of his story that Agrippa will go, okay, I get that. That makes sense. You guys following me? Okay. So before we move on to the next point, I want you to think about something for a second. I want you to think about your own story. Think about what your life was like before you came to a point where you thought, I believe in Jesus. Now, maybe that, that point, whatever that point was, we'll talk about in a minute, whether that was when you were baptized or confirmed, or maybe that was when you had a radical conversion experience, even though you grew up in church, or maybe if you didn't grow up in church, you did have a radical conversion experience. Maybe, maybe it happened over time, and one day you just kind of realized, I do believe this. Whatever it was, I want you to think about what that is. I want you to think about what that is, and I want to challenge you to, to get ready to write that down sometime, maybe even tonight. Okay, how, how can I put this down in like two or three sentences? This is what I was like. Grew up in a Christian home, didn't grow up in a Christian home. Um, had these questions or doubts, came to this conclusion in this circumstance. Okay, we'll talk about that in a minute. So think about what it was like before you were a Christian. I grew up in a Christian home, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, all that kind of stuff. But then... Paul goes on to say, okay, here's the next step. He starts talking about how Christ called, uh, called him to believe. Because the reality is, if you're a believer, you're a believer because Christ called you to believe. <laughs> now, whether he called you through a preacher or your parents or your own reading or whatever it was, there was a time where you sensed, man, i got to believe this. i got to trust him. That, that happened. Whether it was an identifiable, identifiable moment or over a period of time it happened, Paul's going to share how it happened with him. He says, while thus occupied, he says, I journeyed to Damascus, and I was occupied killing Christians, basically, and having them arrested. I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, and at midday, O king, along the road I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and those who journeyed with me. Now, this is a, a part of his testimony that we're aware of, but don't lose the fact that Paul's, you might not know, see this in the English, but Paul's using language to show that something supernatural happened. So Paul did have a supernatural experience that he wants Agrippa to understand. Okay, And he said, And when all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in, Hebrew, in the Hebrew language, obviously Hebrew is what they speak in heaven, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That was a joke, by the way. Okay, anyway. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And so I said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now, now Paul, when he's kind of recounting his conversion story, notice that the, the big issue is, the first kind of issue is, uh, the, or the emphasis is, who it was that was confronting him, who it was that was actually calling him. It was Jesus. And so think about this when it comes to your own story. When did you actually make a decision about Jesus? And maybe it's this way. 
when did, if you grew up in the church, when did Christianity change from about being it to about being him? When you went from going, yeah, okay, I believe Jesus died for my sins and there's this historical guy and he rose from the dead, and you believe these ideas. When did it change from believing those ideas to then realizing God's real? He's real. He did actually do this for me. When did that transition? Again, it could have been a, over a period of time, but it's when you came to faith in him, not just faith in it, that is really important. It's really important. It's not important to pin down the date. It is important to understand the circumstances. Okay? All right. Now, he goes on to say, verse 16, Jesus is speaking here, and Jesus says to Paul, But rise and stand to your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and the things which I have yet uh, will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you. So, Paul, you know, this is not the exact words that we saw in, in Acts chapter 9, is it? It's slightly different wording. So this is not Paul, again, changing things. Paul is kind of telling the story in a way that Agrippa will go, okay, I, I can connect this to where why Paul's standing before me right now. Do you understand? I can connect to, to this immediate circumstance. Again, this is an important aspect of sharing your testimony. When you're sharing your own story, you want to share your story in a way that kind of people can connect it to that, to where you are right now. Why are you in this place with them right now? If you can connect that, make that connection. So Paul's kind of doing this. Now, I love this, though, too, of what it tells us about when Jesus saves people. Now, obviously, Paul had a specific call, a unique calling on his life. Paul's uniquely an apostle, even unlike the Twelve. But still, there's this, this principle, I think, that applies to everyone whom God saves. The fact is that Paul was saved to serve. Jesus saved him not just so that he could go, oh, you're saved now, so I'll see you in heaven in about 30 years or whatever. Or enjoy church, I hope you find one that has really good music, whatever. It was like, no, he, he said, here's what I have called you to. I've called you for this purpose. I want you to do ministry for me. I want you to serve for me. We're all called to that. Now, we're called to different kinds of a service, different, you have different gifts and different callings, but we're all called to serve. Everyone's saved to serve. Do you remember when, in, early in the Gospels, when it talks about Peter's mother-in-law uh, who was sick, she was sick with fever, and Jesus went into the home and he healed her? Do you remember what it says? He healed her, and after she was healed, she got up and she served them. That's a great picture of what God does with every one of us. He saves us so we can serve others. And so Paul's saying this is the case. This is what's going on. Again, this is not Paul trying to exalt himself. It's Paul trying to say, this is why I'm going after the Gentiles, because I was saved for this purpose. He says, verse 18, he goes on to describe it further. Jesus is describing this further uh, to uh, uh, this is what Paul's recounting. He says, to open their eyes in order to turn them, notice, from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And so here, when Christ is calling Paul, he's making it really clear that, look, I'm calling you so that you can call other people to me as well. I love the fact that Paul, in describing this, and in describing how Jesus describes it to him, it's described as going from darkness to light. Being someone who can't see where they're going, isn't sure of what's actually happening 
uh, in their life to, now I see. I once was blind, but now I see. Now, probably most of us would say that when we're blind, we don't realize that we're blind. I mean, most would probably say we'd have that experience. That was the problem with the Pharisees. Jesus had to say to the Pharisees, you know, if you would say you're blind, you'd see, but because you say you see, you're actually blind. You know, you, you don't realize that you're blind. But there is this reality of, of, of recognizing when, when God saves us, there's a recognition that I've been in darkness and I need to be in light. It's also this idea that I've been under the power of Satan and now I'm under the power of God. In other words, I've been influenced by someone greater than myself and now I need to be influenced by someone even greater than that. I need to be under the influence of God and to be delivered to the power of God. And in, in doing so, what happens? They receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance by those who are sanctified by me, by faith uh, in me, set apart. Again, this is a really important thing to think about. That salvation isn't just a ticket into heaven. It isn't just like, you know, you, you buy an advance ticket so that when you die, you, you get resurrected and you get to go to heaven or something. It's, it's being set apart. From the day that you're saved, God sets you apart as his own. He sets you apart by faith in Jesus. That's what makes us different. What makes us different is we say, okay, Lord, we're trusting in you. We're not trusting in anything else. Now, again, not everyone has the same kind of conversion experience that Paul does. Not everyone can say, oh, there's this bright light, and it was dramatic, and I... I knew in an instant I was blind and now I see. Not everybody has that experience, but all of us, anyone who's been saved knows that it's Jesus who's done the saving. Anyone who's been saved uh, knows that they've been saved to serve, that God hasn't just saved them so they can kick back and wait to die. Anyone who's been saved knows they've been, they've been saved because they put their faith in Jesus. So here's why this is important, talking about the practicality of sharing your testimony. Your testimony needs to be, or part of your testimony needs to be, first, yeah, okay, here's what it was like before Christ. But second, here's how I came to faith in Christ. And it needs to be that. It needs to be about what happened, what were the circumstances that brought you to a place that you recognized, I need Jesus. I need him to save me. Again, whether that was over a period of time, whether that was something that was instantaneous, whatever it might be, I want you to think about this. Think about how you can put that in two or three sentences to explain it simply to somebody. If someone was to say, well, did you grow up in a, why are you a Christian? Were your parents Christian? That you would be able to say, well, yeah, I was. I did grow up in a home, Christian home. Or no, I didn't. Instead, this is what happened. Or I did, but I came to faith myself this way, X, Y, and Z. Do you see what I'm saying? One of the reasons this is important is because um, not everyone comes to faith in Christ the same way. God draws people uh, to Jesus, it's always to Jesus that he's going to draw them if they're going to be saved. But the reality is that there's different circumstances surrounding that. And people need to know that. They need to know not everyone kind of, you know, saw a bright light and, or went forward at church or, or, you know, whatever, whatever the case might be. It, it happens in a variety of ways. The, the issue is that it happens. It was God who did it. It was God who brought us to Jesus, and it's Jesus who we're trusting. That's got to be part of our testimony. This is one of the things that worries me when people share their testimony. This is one of the reasons why a lot of people don't really like testimonies, because they sound like bragamonies. I was so horrible. It's 20 minutes of how bad I was, and five minutes of it, and then I found Jesus and it was over. That's it. Whereas really, Paul spends as much time talking about 
how he came to Christ, or how Christ came to him, you know, how Christ saved him, as he does about, well, this is what I was like before. So it's important for us to recognize, what's, what's God done? How did God bring me here? I have to tell you, too, one of the things that's helped me in my walk with God over the last 28 years, whatever it's been, is, is been sort of periodically remembering, kind of going over what happened. Especially when I'm kind of doubting about stuff, I'm wrestling with, is all this stuff real? Did I just sort of have some dramatic emotional experience and then found myself four years later in full-time ministry and I didn't know how to get out? I mean, is that what happened? And I've been here ever since? I mean, seriously, I've had those kind of thoughts. And then I have to look back and go, no, wait a second. I remember what happened. I remember being a heathen and being miserable. I remember cleaning up my life and, and people being happy, but me being empty. I remember asking the big questions. Why am I here? What's, what's life about? Is there really a God? I remember have, wanting to know how, why some, someone says that's good and someone else says, no, that's bad. Who, who determines what's right or wrong, good or bad? I remember having all these big questions, and I remember finally knowing that there is a God, having a revelation there's got to be a God, and I'm accountable to Him, and being sobered by that. And I remember hearing the gospel. I remember hearing someone say about who Jesus is, that He is the standard of, of what's good or what's right, what's wrong. That he's the one who died for our sins. That he's the evidence that God is indeed real and is good. And I thought, that's the answer to all my questions. And I thought, no, and God did something and started something in my life that was, was radical. I remember all this stuff. And sometimes I have to go back and remember it. This is one of the reasons why I think it's important for us to know how to share our own stories as Paul shared his story. Because there's something about sharing your story. Again, even if it's you know, I grew up in a Christian home, and I've kind of always believed in Jesus, you know. My, my wife Sarah's testimony as well. I was like six, and my, you know, and my, uh, my Christian school teacher said, you know, you can, if you receive Jesus as your Savior, He wants a relationship with you. Ask Him to come into your heart, you know, the kind of little thing that, that, they, that they say. And so she thought, well, I've always believed in Jesus, but I've never asked Him to save me. And she went home and knelt down on her bed and said, Jesus, please save me. And she knew something different happened. And she just came out and said, Mom and Dad, I just received Jesus. I love Jesus now. I want to walk with Jesus now. And they're like, oh, that's great. You know, they're kind of like, okay, that's awesome. You know? and, and she's kind of been that way ever since. But she also has part of her testimony of that she was walking with God. And then when she was like 15, 16, she started kind of thinking, mm, I'm going to kind of do my own thing. I want to follow Jesus, but also I want to party. And she you know, saw herself make some really bad choices and God protected her from some really horrible things. She knows it was the grace of God that she didn't get involved in much worse things. But God used that to bring her back to him. That's all part of her story. So the thing is, is that um, it, it's, it's not so much that you have to have a story that you think is going to be exciting to everybody, but you need to know your story. And you need to know what Jesus did for you. Not just in a theoretical sense or even a theological sense. You need to know when did Jesus get your attention? How did Jesus get your attention? It's important. It's helpful. It's going to help build your faith. It's also going to uh, be a bridge for somebody else. So, so he shares Christ's call in his life, how Christ called him to himself. And then he begins to share what his life is like after he's saved. What's, what's Paul's life like with Christ? We saw what it was before Christ. We saw Christ invading his life. Now, what's it like with Christ? And he says, therefore, verse 19, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. That word disobedient means I was not uh, unpersuadable. It was like he, he saw this and he thought, I can't ignore this. I've got I to gotta respond to it. 
He says, but declared first to those in Damascus, the very place he went to arrest people, and in Jerusalem and through all the regions of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent, turn to God, and do works fitting of repentance. Now one of the reasons he's saying this is not just because he did it, he did do it, but he knows Agrippa is going to be familiar with the ministry of John the Baptist. And so he's trying to show, look, everyone thought John the Baptist was a prophet. I was just doing kind of the same thing he did after I, I was converted. Just telling people they needed to turn to God. And they needed to prove that they were turning to God. They just showed that they actually were turning to God by seeing their life changed. In a sense, what Paul's saying here, he's saying, look, I was a changed life. It was calling lives to be changed. That's what I was. I knew that God changed my life, and I was telling people, your life needs to be changed too, and God can do that. So, then it says in verse 21, For these reasons, he says, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand, witnessing both to small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come. Now, this is really interesting. Listen to what he says in verse 23. You tell me if this sounds like Old Testament or New Testament. Okay? You tell me. He says that the Christ would suffer, that he would first be, uh, he would be first to rise from the dead, and he would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Does that sound like Old Testament or New Testament to you? It sounds like New Testament, doesn't it? But he says really clearly, right? I'm only saying what Moses and the prophets have said. Now, now this is great because one of the things that we want to remember too is Paul saying, listen, I'm only trying to do what the book says. I'm only trying to live by what the book tells us. Paul's one who, uh, after his conversion, he didn't chuck away uh, all that he learned in, in his studies. He just began to see them in a whole new light. He began to see that they had to be, in a sense, reinterpreted through Jesus. They had to be seen through Christ crucified and resurrected. They had to be interpreted that way. And so then he, as he does that, he says, man, really, this is really what Moses and the prophets have all been saying. This all is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Now, the reason this is important, I think, is that, again, Paul, part of Paul's life with Christ was one where he walked with Jesus as he studied the Scriptures. He walked with Jesus. He saw Jesus as the fulfillment of, of the Scriptures. This is important because I think this needs to be part of our testimony. Do you, do you know when Muhammad first came on the scene and, and when Islam was first developing, do you know what they called Jews and Christians? You know, they're called even in the Quran. People of the book. That was what they were identified as. Who are those people? They didn't, they didn't serve pagan gods. They served the one true God, but they were known specifically as people of the book. They were people that knew what God said about himself. It wasn't just that they knew information, but they related to God as they saw him in the scriptures. We're going to see this this week. Most of you guys will see this in your house groups this week as we look at 1 Samuel, where God speaks through his word. And when, when things go pear-shaped, when his people even walk away, what does he do? He brings a new prophet to say, this is what you need to hear. God relates to us through his word. That's what he does. Part of our life with Christ now should be able to be explained as, I do take God at his word. I take the Bible seriously, and I believe the God of this book. Now, just as a practical advice, I don't think it's helpful when we're talking to uh, unbelievers to get into arguments about you know inerrancy and errors in Scripture and that kind of stuff. I think there's wisdom when someone says, well, how can you believe that book when it's all full of contradictions? It's really wisdom to say, can you show me some contradictions? 
Because nine, 99 times out of 100, they're going to go, oh, I, I don't really know where they are. I just heard someone say that once. you know. But if they do know where they are, ask them. Say, cool, let me see it. I'm going to check that out. I'll come back to you next week. you got another excuse for their conversation. Okay? But also, it's important that they recognize this is the authority that we stand on. And I'll tell you why. Because it's, it's getting so popular, even among evangelicals, to not stand on this book, that what ends up happening, people go, why do you believe what you believe? So, so where does that come from? And so it's important that we recognize that like what Paul's doing here, he's talking about his life with Christ. He's describing, okay, look, I've had a, my life's been changed, and I just want to see other people's lives change, and I'm walking with the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus that the Old Testament predicts, the Jesus that we're explaining now, we would say, the New Testament reveals. I'm walking with him. Now, this is important, too, because I think the part of our testimony that can possibly have the most impact is the part of who we are since we've become Christians. That can have the most impact. You know, I, I think sometimes we underestimate that. We think it's, it's more important, especially if you grew up in the church, you think it's more important to be able to say, you wish you could say, oh, I was delivered from this. I, I used to be bad, and now I'm good. That's a better testimony. But actually... The most powerful testimony is the testimony of, this is what God's doing now. This is what my life is like since I walk with God now. There's a Christian comedian that talks about when people give their testimonies, and he makes this, you know, like this, this idea of you hear someone give their testimony, you go, gosh, I wish I would have been addicted to crack, you know? And you do, you have this feeling of, you know, gosh, I wish my story was that bad, because then it would be dramatic and like, wow, God saved you when you were a crack addict. But how much more dramatic is it than, you know, God has, has, has made himself known to me and God is walking with me on a daily basis that you can testify, I know the creator of the universe. I know the God of this book. And I know him for real. I walk with him. I have a relationship with him. That's a huge testimony. That's an important aspect of our story. Don't underestimate that. Don't underestimate how important it is, just our, how much our daily walk will speak. People want to know, has Jesus, this Jesus stuff, actually changed your life for the better? Now, with that, there comes the temptation of saying, yeah, look at me, I have all this great stuff now, I have all these great relationships now, and it can kind of, you can try to, try to make your life look better than it is. I'm not talking about that. Because let's be honest, isn't the greatest thing about knowing Jesus, knowing Jesus? <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that meant what it's supposed to be? It's not that we have great healthy families or that God's provided all our needs materially. As great as those things are, they're not always there. But what is always there, or who is always there, is Christ. We can always know Him. We can always talk about Him. One of the reasons we struggle to share Jesus as the pinnacle of our testimony is because we fail to walk with Jesus now. We, we, we maybe know what we were. We maybe know when we came to understand the truth. We maybe remember the epiphany. We can tell the story, but where are we right now? Are we walking with him right now? Can we say right now, he's good and he's trustworthy? Because that's what he wants us to be able to testify of. Now quickly, how do these guys respond to this testimony? This is also important. How do they respond to Paul's life? Verse 24, now as thus, as he thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Same word as verse 11. Paul, you're a maniac. Much learning is driving you mad. You're a nutcase, Paul. 
You're crazy. But I love the way Paul answers. He said, but he said, I'm not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. You know, you know, now, I, you know, Paul could have gotten offended, you know. Yeah, you think I'm crazy? Well, you're a heathen. You know, you married an underage child, you're a sicko. You know, he could have like thrown some mud back in his face or something, you know. But he doesn't do that. He just says, you know what? I'm not mad. I'm speaking to you, to, to you the words of truth and reason. And, and as if he's saying, okay, so Festus, what is it that I've said that isn't reasonable? What is it that I've said that doesn't match up with the truth of Scripture? What have I said? He, he could say that to him. And he says in verse 26, For the king, speaking of Agrippa, before whom I also speak freely, knows these things, for I am convinced that none of these things escape his attention, since the, this thing was not done in a corner. This thing speaking of Christ's death and resurrection. He's saying, look, I know that Agrippa knows all about these things, what they represent, how they tie into Scripture. Now, now here's the thing. The first response with Festus is, you know, Paul, you're nuts. It's important to recognize this. It's important to recognize that even if we give our testimony in an in a exceedingly polished way, this is, this is like a, one of the greatest examples of someone share their testimony. Even if that's the case, it's important for us to recognize people aren't always going to go, oh, that's awesome. I want to become a Christian now too. They might think you're still nuts. But what they can't deny, and what you need to have confidence is that you've spoken the words of truth and reason. Now, look at King Agrippa. What happens with King Agrippa? Paul says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. Okay, you had to make that profession, King Agrippa, that you believe the testimony of the prophets because you're the, the one who kind of is in charge of the temple. And it's interesting because what does Agrippa say in verse 28? And Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. Now, I, I don't know the Greek language, okay? So I, I couldn't read this in Greek. But reading Greek helps, reading different kind of Greek scholars about this. What they say is that Agrippa's kind of being playful with Paul. He's kind of being ironic, and he's kind of being, but he's not being unpleasant. He's just kind of being playful with Paul. And, and it's, it's not being harsh, but he's just kind of say, sorry, Paul, I'm still not convinced. Still not sure. No, that's okay. It's okay that people aren't instantly convinced by your testimony. That's all right as long as you're reminding them about Jesus. But there's another group that was listening, because you don't forget, there's all this audience, both the Jews that wanted Paul crucified and others that are, would have been around here. And this is in verse 29, and Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these chains. Now think about this. Paul's testimony was such that he could say, I wish everyone could know Jesus and follow Jesus like I know and follow Jesus. I want you to think about how powerful that is. I mean, think, think about your own relationship with Christ. Could you say, man, I wish everyone's relationship with Jesus was like mine. Is your relationship that strong? Are you enjoying the Lord that much? I mean, I don't know if I could say that. But I love the fact that Paul says, look, I don't want anybody to go to jail like I'm going to jail. I don't want anybody to be chained up like I am. But I wish everyone knew Jesus, the Jesus that I know. Now, what's cool about this is after he says this, it says that when he had said these things, the king stood up, as well as the governor and Bernice and, and those who sat with them. 
And when they had gone aside, they talked among themselves, saying, This man is doing, is doing nothing deserving of death or chains. What was their conclusion? He's harmless. He's not going to hurt anybody. And then Agrippa said to Festus, This man might have been set free if he had appealed to Caesar. Now, here's what we don't see when Paul says his t- shares his testimony. We don't see anybody immediately coming to Christ, do we? Does that mean his testimony was ineffective? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Just because the history is not recorded, what happened with all these people that heard, doesn't mean it wasn't effective. Think about the 3,000 people that were saved at Pentecost. Okay? Those 3,000 people probably would have been, because they were all Jews, they would have been at other feasts at other time, they would have been there when Jesus, they would have heard Jesus preach, they would have known about Jesus crucified, they would have heard the rumors about His resurrection. And yet, it wasn't until Pentecost that they actually got saved. Does that mean that what Jesus did had no effect? Or was it when he was preaching the gospel of the kingdom, it was planting seeds, and then God brought the watering uh, with, um, uh, with Peter and then reaped the harvest? So, I want you to think about this. I want you to be prepared. I want, I, I want to give you a homework assignment. I used to make the, I used to make the kids in my youth group kind of share this with each other so we'd get the group together and they'd each have like two minutes to share their testimony, okay? Or three minutes to share their testimony. But I want you to, I won't necessarily do that, but I want you guys to be prepared. Can you sum up in one minute what your life was like before Christ? Think about that. Be able to write it down. Think about that so you can say, here's how I would sum this up. Here's how I would say this, okay? Even be prepared to rehearse it. I don't mean memorizing exact words. I mean, you know it well enough to say, boom, boom, and boom. Could you in one minute sum up the circumstances that were surrounding you coming to know Jesus personally? What was happening? Was it a sudden thing? Was it over a long period of time? Was it, was it with somebody? Was it by yourself? Was it a combination? Were there several people sharing with you? Was there no one sharing with you? You read on your own. What was it? What are the circumstances? Can you explain the circumstances of coming to Christ um, uh, in, in, a, in a minute? And then can you share, in a minute, what God's been doing in your life since? What you feel like is the trajectory? What's the things that God's really doing for you? How has is, how is the Lord set you free? How is He setting you free? What is He teaching you? What, do you? what do you appreciate most about your walk with Jesus? Can you share that in one minute? Because if you can do that, if you can learn to say, okay, here's where I was, here's what God did, here's what God's doing, that's a great testimony. And no one can argue with it. Because it's your testimony.